Welcome to The Strong Room. This is our weekly series featuring interviews with families and business owners telling their stories. Our team of estate planning professionals presenting timely legal and tax advice and valuable information on charitable giving. The Strong Room is hosted by Sherry McMillan, President of McMillan Estate Planning. On today's program, Sherry is in conversation with Lawrence Gordy of Batak Solutions, a business owner success story. And coming up on our front page, timely advice for Canadians thinking about buying real estate in the U.S. This is The Strong Room. I'm Herb Ham. On this segment of the program, our guest is Carol Fitzsimmons, a highly respected expert in U.S. estate tax law, and she does a lot of work with Canadians planning to buy real estate in the United States. She's in conversation with Nicole Clinkett of Macmillan Estate Planning. Carol, our, our topic today certainly seems timely. This cold, snowy winter we've been having likely has even more Canadians thinking about buying vacation property in the U.S. We certainly find, Nicole, that this time of year in particular, we receive a lot of phone calls from Canadians anxious to find a winter getaway. And I think in particular, given that our real estate market, unfortunately, in the U.S. continues to be rather soft, it's a nice opportunity for Canadians who are spending some time in the South to look around and, and possibly see some opportunities to actually purchase a home. Now, when Canadians start looking at the tax implications of buying a property in the U.S., it's important to understand terms like estate tax and gift tax. Can you explain these for us and how they could have a major impact on the estate? The U.S. has a very different tax system in some respects than Canada does in connection with ownership of property that is passed either during life or at death to family members, what we call a gratuitous transfer, meaning by gift or by inheritance. We've got this gift and estate tax system, which is designed to tax the value of property when it is transferred during life or at death. There is a fairly significant exemption that's available for U.S. citizens or persons who are domiciled in the U.S., from the application of the gift and the state tax, and that exemption right now is $5.34 million. But Canadians, unfortunately, do not have the benefit of that full exemption. What that means is the U.S. government can, in fact, impose a state tax on Canadians who die owning U.S. situs property like U.S. real estate. And while there is some relief under the tax treaty between our two countries, Canadians do get a portion of that exemption amount I just mentioned. But particularly for wealthier Canadians, it often is not sufficient to completely eliminate U.S. estate tax exposure. Because that tax is imposed on value, too, it tends to be a higher tax than the Canadian tax that would also arise at death. The good news is the two taxes are creditable. The bad news is that you could have a situation where a Canadian dies owning let's say, a vacation condo in Arizona that has not appreciated in value, so there's no Canadian tax at death, but because of the value of that property and perhaps not having sufficient exemption, the value of that property can be taxed up to 40% by the U.S. government upon the death of that Canadian individual. So there is a lot of potential exposure that sometimes people are not aware of because it is such a different type of tax system. 
Carol, let's talk for a moment about the life cycle of a purchase. Uh, People often wonder how they should own the U.S. property, whether that be in a corporation, in their own name, or maybe in a trust. Can you walk us through the pros and cons of these various options? Obviously, the simplest form of ownership is to take title in a person's own name. And for some situations, that may be perfectly appropriate and fine, particularly if it is not an individual who is wealthy at that point in time. There are a lot of great values in terms of real property in the U.S., so it's not just something that is for wealthy individuals. And that may be the simplest approach and the best approach. However, once you start talking about people who have, you know, put together some wealth, Then at that point, to buy in your own name or to buy as spouses, for example, sometimes you'll hear people talk about buying in joint tenancy and things of that sort. Now you're opening the estate of that person up should they die owning the property to a number of different consequences. One is the estate tax. The second is even if it turns out that the person doesn't owe estate tax, there's sufficient exemption available to shelter them under the terms of the tax treaty, the estate would still have to file a U.S. estate tax return and report the ownership of the property and in order to take advantage of those tax treaty benefits to disclose all of their worldwide assets to the IRS. Now, the IRS can't tax all of those assets, but they do require the disclosure, and and that, for some people, is not something they really want to do. Moreover, it does run into some costs to have such a return prepared. It's a fairly involved type of return. The other thing that can happen, well, that will happen if a person dies owning the property in his or her own name, is that in pretty much every state in the U.S., there is a process called probate which means that when an individual dies owning real property, in order to allow the heirs to transfer title to that property, a court process has to be gone through. And probate, while it's not costly in the sense of high probate fees in the U.S., they tend to be pretty modest, it is a bit of a hassle. It usually requires retaining an attorney in the jurisdiction where the property is located, and it just can be a cumbersome process. It could take a couple years to get through During that time, the estate really can't sell the property if that's something that the estate desires to do. And so for that reason, you'll often find that people will look at other types of property ownership than just individually owning it or owning it jointly. One technique that was used quite a bit prior to, let's say, 2000 was to form a Canadian corporation to own the property. And because of changes or at least perhaps clarification in Canadian tax rules that made that not very tax advantageous, and also some authority that the IRS has issued that suggests that even with a Canadian corporation owning the property, there could be a state tax exposure. That tends not to be a common technique used now. There are some of those historic structures around, but for personal use property, a corporation is probably not the way to go. Sometimes people will look into using an approach involving a Canadian partnership. There are certain things that can be done with using a Canadian partnership to potentially avoid some of these problems, although from an estate tax perspective, our view is that's not necessarily an appropriate fix for a lot of people, too. That brings us to what we tend to use pretty frequently for individuals who do want to protect on probate, 
so they don't have to go through that process. We want to protect on the estate tax. And that is to use a trust to own the property. Typically, Nicole, this would be a Canadian form trust, so let's say an Alberta trust. And it has to be set up in a certain way. It tends to be rather mechanical and formalistic, the various steps that have to be gone through to ensure that it will work appropriately. But the essentials of it, typically we use this with married couples, is that one spouse would create the trust, fund it with what's ever needed for the purchase of the U.S. property, and the other spouse is the beneficiary of that trust. And that, again, assuming it's set up right, and there are special terms that need to be in the trust to protect on the estate tax, should allow the family to avoid the estate tax and the probate issue and even filing an estate tax return. So it can be a very handy vehicle for people to use. It sounds a lot more complicated than a lot of people know. It does get to be that way sometimes for people, and I know many times people groan when I tell them these things, and they don't want the complication. Sometimes we'll get calls from people in Arizona or Hawaii or, or Florida who will say, I'm just about to put an offer on a property. <laughs> How should I own it? And there's certainly time to work with setting up the appropriate structure before the property is purchased. Once it's purchased, it becomes cumbersome to do planning around it. Not that that's impossible, but it has to be done very carefully to avoid triggering tax. And, you know, you've answered this question for the most part, but overall, considering all of the complexities of owning U.S. real property, what are the main benefits of planning ahead of time? You have a lot more flexibility, Nicole, if you plan in advance for what you're intending to do. And we have seen this. I think people in Canada are getting more educated on the potential pitfalls in the U.S. system that relate to taxes because there are so many Canadians buying properties in the United States. But if you know that you're looking at property in the U.S. to buy and you think you're fairly certain that you're going to do it, it's good to get the tax advice ahead of time. It may be appropriate to set up a trust ahead of time or a partnership ahead of time so that the offer to purchase can be made right in the name of those vehicles. That saves on complexity at the end of the day. And it's just really that thinking in advance and getting the advice in advance. And certainly once the person owns the property, it is worth checking with their accountant in Canada too to be sure that they're fulfilling their Canadian tax reporting responsibilities with respect to ownership of that property as well. This is The Strong Room. And when we come back, a business owner success story. 